Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Hello, friends. If you missed being with us this past Sunday, you missed out on me sharing maybe one of the most, maybe the most vulnerable story I've shared in a sermon. Uh, just kind of depends how you're how you're uh, figuring that out. Um, but at least you get to hear it here. A number of wise teachers of mine and mentors. Uh, have said, you can preach from your healed scars, but you really should not preach from your fresh wounds. Uh, So this idea is, don't go, this is for anyone, like, don't go trying to preach a sermon out of something that you really should be taking care of with a spiritual director or in therapy. It's too raw and, and messy. But we all have experiences. We, we go through them, we process them, and, and then later they can have some real value for other people. And so today I'm sharing a story like that, a story from some healed scars. And let me just emphasize that it's, it's not a fresh wounds story. So uh, this story happened around uh, nearly two years ago. Molly, of course, gave me the go-ahead to share it with you all. And I'm not sharing this story with you so that you can play armchair therapist with me. Uh, (laughs) I don't think any of us share vulnerable stories so that advice givers want to to be advice givers can uh, offer their two cents. We share these kinds of stories. I'm sharing this kind of story uh, for one, to normalize our human experience. And then secondly, to help you consider your own internal life, your own experience with with God and, and with reality. So here's the story. It was a sunny Saturday in the springtime of 2020 the birds were singing the robins were out the kids were behaving themselves molly and i didn't have anything pressing on the docket and so it was shaping up to be a nearly perfect saturday in the midst of covid pretty special and so we decided that we were going to haul the kayaks down to the trask river there was this run on the Trask that we'd been thinking about trying for a little while. And so we were going to put in near the Air Museum and then uh, go down the Trask and take them out at Carnahan Park near our house. 
Additionally, I had just been given a really cool new fishing pole by a friend, and so I was excited to try that out as well. And so I threw my fishing pole and my tackle in with the kayaks. Uh, we, we loaded everything up, and uh, the plan was Cooper was going to ride in the kayak with me, and uh, so as we're loading up, I'm starting to play these movies in my mind. I'm starting to picture Cooper and I catching this massive salmon as we're taking this leisurely family kayak trip down the Trask River. And so we load everything up and we're uh, dropping off vehicles and we pull into the boat launch parking area. And as we pull in, there's a group of fishermen and they're trailering their boat. They're uh, done for the day. And so I walk over and say, hey, how'd you do? And they start telling me, oh, we limited out. It was a great day. And my, my all my fishing juices just start to turn on, <laughs> rise. Uh, it, I'm, now I'm really playing those movies in my mind of catching a big fish, catching a salmon with Cooper in the, in the kayak. And I'm starting to get really, really, really excited about catching a fish. Now, uh, it was a really warm day. You know, we were opening all the van doors and uh, it's, it's just beautiful. We don't even need our jackets. It's just t-shirt weather. And uh, I can't remember if we were putting on sunscreen or not, but it was, it was just gorgeous. And so we're getting all the gear out and I take that fishing pole, that new fishing pole, and I set it against the side of the van behind the open door and I'm grabbing water bottles and snacks and life jackets and setting them down into the kayak and Molly slides the side van door closed. And as that van door slides closed, in a fraction of a second, my fishing pole that I leaned against the side of the van, it, it kind of jostles it and it slides along the side of the van. And it goes in between the door and the door opening. And just that fast, the van door guillotines the fishing pole. Uh, just, it's splintered. It's completely ruined. And in an instant, I went from zero to a hundred, uh, just that fast. Now, I can't remember exactly what I said, uh, but I know I was shouting. My voice, my volume was way up there, and I was super angry. Perhaps as angry as my kids have ever seen me. Uh, I was blaming Molly. I was calling her careless for not seeing my fishing pole leaning against the door. I was telling Molly that she ruined the entire day. And, you know, I, I just can't believe how careless you were, uh, that you would take this away from me. And I'm telling her that she's going to buy me a new fishing pole. And I'm saying this all right now, probably in a very ginger way for compared to how I was saying it then. I, I remember there was very little 
like cognitive thought going on in those moments, except for maybe a sense of surprise or awareness that I really didn't care who could hear me in that parking lot. Uh, you know, there were these other people, they're loading up their boat and I was so angry. I, I didn't care and it didn't go well. Uh, Molly wanted to try to recover, but I was way too hot to do any kind of recovery. And Molly didn't want to go kayaking with me so upset, and neither did Autumn. And so Cooper and I ended up taking the kayak. We made the trip alone while Molly and Autumn drove back home. And so in spend, instead of spending that time on the river enjoying, I spent that time on the river without two of the people most precious to me, just, just trying to calm my body down, trying to calm down and trying to figure out what had just happened to me. Why did I just react the way that I just reacted? And, and obviously thinking about the repair work that I was going to need to do with the whole family, taking ownership and apologies and everything that I'd need to share with Molly and Autumn and Cooper. And I was embarrassed. I was ashamed of how I had reacted to the situation, and I had surprised myself. Uh, I knew I surprised them. I'd surprised myself, and I knew that I'd ruined a, a perfectly good day. So later that day and, and the following days, our family, I, of course, I apologized. I took ownership. Our family relationships were repaired, reconciled, and... That didn't mean that the event was just out of my mind. And in fact, we still talk about the fishing pole event sometimes in our family. I, I really didn't like the way that I had gone from zero to a hundred in the blink of an eye. Uh, and without denying any kind of responsibility for my actions, I didn't like how much it felt like my anger had happened to me. Uh, like one moment, one moment it's a, just a perfectly sunny day, and the next moment it feels like the end of the world, and like everything in my life is ruined. I didn't like having that experience, and I felt like I had acted in a way that really was antithetical to who I was, who I wanted to be, and I didn't like that. And so I continued to process what had happened, uh, prayer, journaling. I talked with my therapist about the event. I, I was just trying to understand what, what happened. Now, throughout the New Testament, anger comes out of this combination of things. It's, it's suffering and judgment. And you put those two things together and it's like, boom, anger. Uh, and suffering and judgment are both things that we are not good at holding as humans. We, we, they're things that God, when God was creating this world, God did not intend for us to hold suffering or judgment. And so suffering 
it's like it, it builds and it builds and it just creates pressure kind of like a, a pop bottle if you just have a couple inches in the bottom of a pop bottle or maybe you call it soda um, but just a couple inches and you shake that up a whole lot not not a whole lot happens so you pour a little more in and a little more in and you shake it and you pour a little more in and you shake it and at some point you pour enough in and that bottle's going to explode and suffering is similar it's it's not just that last inch that you pour in the the trigger uh, is rarely all that's going on in our life uh, when it, as it relates to anger no it's it's every single inch that you poured in and every single shake and we may or may not be aware of how full our quote bottle is getting but at some point it's like the bottle runs over our, our suffering is overflowing and from that point when your suffering is like overflowing it is really easy to switch into judgment mode and and you've got this perfect storm of anger it's i need someone to blame for this suffering and we turn other people's mistakes and their wrongdoing into their identity and it's a someone should have to pay and boom so scripture invites us over and over to let jesus carry our suffering with us uh, hebrews 2 18 because jesus himself suffered when he was tested and when he was tempted because he suffered he's able to help those who are being tested and being tempted uh, peter writes he will lift you up in due time cast all of your care all of that anxiety all that suffering on him because he cares for you and so it's don't hold this suffering alone and then scripture explicitly tells us we are not the judge Jesus it, the good news is Jesus is the judge and Jesus will judge the things that cause suffering at the end of history it's not ours to judge so you look at that underneath anger there are always these more vulnerable emotions of suffering uh, underneath anger it's something we feel powerless or disregarded or unimportant or devalued or rejected or afraid accused unlovable disconnected abandoned what i later realized about this experience uh the fishing the fishing pole event uh what i later realized was that i i had been suffering for quite some time it was like that that pressure had been building for me but i was not very in touch with that suffering at that point in my life uh and and so then that fishing pole broke and it was like in this one blazing moment i was suddenly in touch with my suffering and it, it was overflowing and from there i just i just quickly switched into judgment and molly got the full brunt of that judgment sorry let's explore that that suffering a little bit more the root of my suffering was that i was sorely missing the life 
that I used to have. Uh, it was a highly stressful season. Remember, this is springtime of 2020, so COVID was pretty new, uh, but it, it had been going for a little while. Uh, so we're in quarantine, churches online. I was not seeing my friends. The kids were home all day uh, doing online school. We were at home all day as well, trying to work from home. Uh, I remember my 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 makeshift office was in our downstairs bathroom. Uh, it was a particularly difficult season of parenting for multiple reasons. I was experiencing chronic stress. Uh, we're coming out of the winter, dark, rainy season, so craving sunshine. Um, let's see. Oh, I was trying to be strong for a lot of people. I mean, here we are. We're just starting out going through a pandemic. And uh, how, how are you supposed to pace yourself? Is this a, a 5K? Is this a marathon? Is this an Ironman? What, what is this? Uh, but even that, uh, those attempts to try to be strong, I don't think they were helping me be in touch with my, my own suffering. And so I was not in touch with the, the bottle is uh, in hindsight, I can see that um, there it was bubbling under the surface. Anger is suffering plus judgment. Uh, so therapists put it this way. They say, when you find yourself becoming hysterical, it's most likely historical, uh, which was certainly at play for me. And so I, I want to briefly just walk you through memory lane, not just for my sake, but to help you think about what's going on for you internally. Uh, so I grew up in a hunting and fishing family, very much so. If you knew me 15, 20 years ago, uh, as a young adult, I was incredibly passionate about fishing. I mean, I was thinking about fishing day and night, and so in er and hunting. Uh, but in this case, we're talking about fishing. So in early marriage, I realized that my passion for fishing was really coming out of a place of self-interest. You know, I could become so absorbed in that passion to catch a fish that I treated the people that I love the most almost like they didn't exist. I could do that. Uh, and so as I realized that, it wasn't that fishing was bad or that fishing was unhealthy, but my relationship to fishing was self-centered and potentially addictive. And so the, the Spirit helped me realize earlier, much earlier in marriage, that self-sacrificial love meant I needed to orient to fishing differently. And so I reoriented to fishing differently, which meant that any time we did go fishing, which wasn't nearly as often, it was not really about, oh, we got to catch, we got to catch fish. It was about being together in nature. Uh, and so that was some of my own personal history that was at play. Now back to the day of the fishing pole event, there we are, we're in that boat launch parking lot area and I'm already feeling this passion to catch this fish and then these guys tell me 
yeah, we limited out. And it's like, I had not felt a passion like that to catch a fish for years and years and years. That day, in that moment before that fishing pole broke, I really, 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 really wanted to catch a fish. But what I realized later is it, it wasn't about catching a fish. Uh, it wasn't about the fishing pole. I was longing to return to a past version of my life. The, the fishing pole and catching a fish represented that past version of my life that I was just longing to get back to, to escape to. Like, I want to go back to a time when there was no COVID, when parenting was easy, when get-togethers with friends were the norm, when our church family was together. And so when that fishing pole snapped, then suddenly it's like for the first time I was fully in touch, fully aware of all that suffering and all that longing. And in this instant, it's like that that's just overflowing. And I, I just switched to judgment, a task that belongs to Jesus, not to me. And so then I'm saying ridiculous things, you know, Molly, how could you take this away from me as if she's responsible for all of this, which is completely inaccurate. So in conversations with my therapist, I explored, we explored, you know, how was your body feeling? How's my body feeling before this all happened? Before I snapped, uh, before my anger boiled over, do you remember? Can you pay attention to how your body was feeling? Uh, my therapist said that most likely my body had been showing me signs of that suffering in some way if I could recognize the signs. Uh, which for me, as I reflect on that, uh, and she said it's diff everyone's different, but a tightness in my the back of my throat is a real thing. When we get angry... Our bodies go through all kinds of chemical changes, we're told, like your sympathetic nervous system kicks in, your heart rate goes up, your mouth stops salivating, your respiration increases, you start to sweat, your pupils dilate, your blood pressure increases, your capillaries constrict, your skin temperature raises, you feel this mixed sense of like energy and restlessness, your body's ready to run or to fight, your digestive system just goes on pause and you get this dump of stress chemicals into your bloodstream, adrenaline, noradrenaline, noroepinephrine, cortisol, and the chemicals don't go away. They're there until they break down. And so this anger, it, it makes it difficult, even on a physical level, to remain objective. Your brain's on fire. The prefrontal cortex, that place of reason, isn't doing the thinking. The amygdala, the fight or flight, is doing the thinking. And so you feel invincible. You're making risky decisions. Like, I don't care if the people in the parking lot hear me. Uh, you don't think something unfortunate might happen. Anger brings out all of our prejudice. We blame other people's actions on who they are rather than the circumstances. So it's not, oh, the fishing pole unfortunately accidentally fell in between the door it's no one's fault. It, it happened. I'm I'm sad about this. No, it was 
converting a mistake into an identity. Molly, you're careless. Uh, that's who you are. Anger causes us to word things in extreme ways, either or options. We, we think in distorted ways and we automatically think these revenge thoughts like, you're going to pay me back. You're going to buy me a new fishing pole. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us that acts of the flesh, this is Galatians 5, you know, the flesh and the spirit, the acts of the flesh are fits of rage, discord, disputes, strife. These are the parts of the acts of the flesh. But the fruit of the spirit is, and it's macrothumia or macrothymia, it's uh, this combination, these two words, uh, it's long. If you're going for the most literal translation, the fruit of the Spirit is long and passion or long-tempered, long-suffering. Uh, sometimes people have heard the word, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Sometimes that word gets thrown in there. But we have to qualify what we're talking about. Because when people hear that word patience, they think about it as relating to time. Uh, like, well, I, I just couldn't wait the extra two minutes to take the pizza out of the oven, so I went ahead and took it out two minutes early because I just couldn't wait, or I just can't wait till Christmas. That's not what we're talking about here. This long passion, this long-tempered, this long-suffering has to do with how we relate to others, not time, how we relate to others. It's the opposite of being quick-tempered. It's being slow-tempered long-tempered. It's being slow to anger. That's what this fruit of the Spirit is, being slow to anger. It's this inner quality coming from the Spirit that prepares us to meet other people with this generosity and this self-giving frame of mind. And so we allow other people to act upon us, and we're not going to act upon them in response, in retaliation, in revenge. Just this, oh, I, I become reactive to everything. Now, <laughs> you might listen to my story and you're like, man, that is silly. You way overreacted. Uh, you, you know, you say that's completely ridiculous the way that you responded to that. Uh, and I agree with you. Uh, that's completely okay if that's your reaction. Like, man. You, you way overreacted. It's like, yep, I did. And I'm pretty sure if you aren't just listening to my story for, well, well, how's Aaron manage his stuff? But if you have this, what's going on with me? I'm pretty sure we've all had moments when we boiled over. We've all had moments when we went zero to a hundred. Uh, some people go aggressive, real aggressive. Some people become more passive aggressive, but they're they're still just raw. That uh, a few people stuff their anger. A few people, it's like you'll hardly ever see them angry because they're just shoving it way down deep, which is probably the most unhealthy of the the three options. Uh, like if you're going aggressive or passive aggressive or just <laughs> Uh, numerous studies have found that anger affects the body systems. So anger, uh, people that are angry a lot, it increases their risk for hypertension, stroke, 
heart disease, gastric ulcers, bowel disease, slower wound healing, increases their risk for certain types of cancer. Uh, like this, this anger is hard on our bodies. The question is not, as you look at your own life, the question is not how valid are your triggers? Because uh, some people look at triggers and they're like, well, that shouldn't have made you very angry. I, I don't think that's the question to ask. The question is, how in touch are you with your suffering? All of your suffering. Because our triggers may sometimes seem silly. But underneath the trigger, that's like that last inch of soda that you poured into the bottle. That last inch, you might be like, that's silly. Why did that make me angry? Underneath that, there's all this very real suffering. There's this very real connection, this deep connection to different parts of who you are. And, and the suffering and that history build up. And often it's not just one thing. It's a bunch of things. And somewhere underneath all that, it, nothing, no part of it is silly. We're talking about raw and, and vulnerable stuff. And that pain comes from some of your most vulnerable emotions. It's ways that people took away or violated something that you hold dear. Someone treated you like you didn't matter, uh, like what you value doesn't matter something that you hold sacred was minimized or thrown in the dirt, someone violated who you are, and and you stack those up, you, you add a bunch of factors together, and it's suffering. In his fabulous book, uh, The Thing Beneath the Thing, Steve Carter points out that often the thing that triggers our anger, that last inch, uh, the thing that triggers our anger is the shadow side of something really beautiful about us. And I can see that in my own experience. There I was, I'm in the parking lot and I'm raging, I'm very angry, but underneath that rage, that anger, was something beautiful about me, which was my longing to be together. I in that desire, like, I want to get back to a, a different time in life, was this longing, I want to get back with family and friends and church family and nature and this old sense of uh, the way things used to be, who I, who I used to be connected. Uh, now, I wasn't fully in touch with that, and so I wasn't fully recognizing my own suffering and so that beautiful thing about me, that desire to be together, was coming out in some really ugly ways. Suffering plus judgment, anger. The fruit of the Spirit is being long-tempered, slow to anger. This is, this is God in us and us in God. Uh, in the Old Testament, one of the most often repeated statements in all of scripture, especially the Old Testament, is God's own self-description, where God is saying, this is who I am. I am the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, rich in love. Over and over, scripture tells us we are not built to hold anger. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Ephesians 4 
The gospel tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, the wilderness, to pray. And so you have all these stories all throughout the gospels where people are looking for Jesus and Jesus is off praying somewhere. And I wonder, what did those times look like? And none of us know, uh, because the, the gospel writers, the, as far as they can get is, well, he's not here. <laughs> uh, he left. He often withdrew. Um, so we don't have that inside view. But I want to share a part of how I imagine those times going for Jesus. I see Jesus in those times as when he's withdrawing to pray. He has streams uh, of tears just coming down his face because he's fully in touch with who he is. And so he's fully in touch with his suffering. He feels how much it hurts for his mom and his siblings to think he's out of his mind. He feels the pain, the rejection of people who uh, they're choosing their money over him or their political power or their nationalism or their religious status or whatever it is instead of Jesus. And it feels every time it feels like being told you don't matter. What you hold dearest doesn't matter. And he feels that pain, not just for them, but for him. And he feels the pain of so much suffering, so much brokenness, so much evil in this world. And so I see him there in those moments with the tears just streaming down his cheeks and he's expressing that suffering to the Father. Even Jesus, the judge, we could say, well, Jesus is allowed to be angry. Um, and there, there are good arguments to be made for, yeah, God is God holds anger in a different way than we do as humans. But it's interesting that even in his humanity, uh, you see Jesus, it's like he's waiting. He releases judgment to the Father in his humanity. Uh, he's waiting until a different time to be the judge. And so like even on the cross, it's, it's not, I'm going to judge you guys. It's Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so Jesus is, is letting the Father somehow hold that suffering with him. How in touch are you with your own suffering? You bring your whole self with you every day into every situation. Uh, so you walk into a situation and you have your history with you. You have every story, you have every desire, every hope, every fear, every time you were belittled or made fun of, or every word of love you have ever received. And all of that's there. It's churning inside of you. It's under the surface bubbling, uh, part of who you are. And so remember, it's like every single situation you walk in, if you find yourself becoming hysterical, it's probably historical. And so we want to ask that question, how in touch are we with our own suffering? And it, we're not asking that question so that we can wallow in our own self-pity. Some people say, yeah, I, I do not think about that because that's like Weenieville or, uh, you know, that's, that's for people who just want to feel bad for themselves. That's not what we're talking about. 
we're trying to get in touch with our suffering so that we can bring all of who we are to God. Are you regularly bringing all of who you are, including your suffering, to God? Are you in touch with those most beautiful parts of who you are that are being minimized or violated? Uh, are you able to express to God not just the one thing, the trigger, but this buildup, uh, all the things, and how much it hurts, and how it touches your past, and your hopes, and your wounds, and these deepest parts of who you are. And in that place of deep prayer, contemplative prayer, are you able to listen to God, the God who speaks to that suffering? And can you hear I can't speak for God, but I, I can think about when I've heard God speaking to me and telling me in different ways, identifying with my pain and telling me in various ways, you matter, your pain matters, your suffering matters, what you hold dearest matters, and, and God somehow freeing me to feel that, to experience that. And... And then somehow within that, that that suffering doesn't hold that same power over me uh, because God is right there with me in that. Are you able to, to bring all of that to God and then to release the judgment, that piece of it, uh, so that you're not coming to this, this place of, ouch, 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 and I have to turn and turn someone, convert someone's wrongdoing or mistake into their identity. It's you. You should pay. Can you get in touch with this reality that to someone else, you are the person who's frustrating them? Like, we're all probably annoying to someone else. They're struggling to put up with us. Uh, we're a, it might be hard to say it this way, but at some level, we're a part of their suffering. Can you get in touch with that piece? They're putting up with your shortcomings, your idiosyncrasies, uh, misunderstandings, and they aren't converting your mistakes into your identity. They're being patient with you, long-suffering. And so can you, can you shift to have this same kind of compassion? That person, those people who are involved and connected to my suffering, I want to have that same kind of compassion for them. They matter. Their suffering matters. This, this whole idea, fruit of the Spirit, is long-suffering. It doesn't mean God wants us to muscle through our suffering so that we stuff our anger somewhere way down deep. It's not what this is. Because... The fruit of the Spirit's not something that we do. It's, it's something we receive. It, it grows out of our being as we are in God and, and God is in us. And I think it's something that comes from spending that time with God, being in touch with our suffering, and hearing God say what God says. You matter. Your, your suffering matters. And God somehow preparing us to interact with others out of a different place, a, a place of, of generosity and a, that self-giving frame of mind 
where we're not in this space of needing to react uh, to everything that happens, perhaps the spirit even helping us to anticipate, to, to say, like, look ahead and say, spirit, help me anticipate and imagine what it would look like to react with generosity towards some of these people who might pour that last inch of soda on my bottle (laughs) Uh, to help me, prepare me to interact with generosity towards them. Free me from doing this zero to a hundred. The fruit of the spirit is long-tempered, long-suffering, slow to anger. And so we're going to end today with just one discussion question. Uh, We chatted about this at our gathering, chatted together. And so um, if you missed the gathering, then I would just invite you to either uh, chat with the people you're with or process this throughout the week. So remember, Steve Carter says, often the thing that triggers our anger is the shadow side of something really beautiful about us. The question is, what are some of those those most beautiful parts of who you are that can come out in really ugly ways when you try to hold suffering alone? So take some time and think about that question. Love you.